So when you see someone who is doing that which is right, who is upholding the law of God, you can trust him. But notice, it's not merely that this one does what is right for himself, but that he leads others to do also what is right. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part two of Behold My Servant, a four-part series from Pastor Paul Twist from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 42. Yesterday, Pastor Paul spoke about a world without trust. Think of it. Without trust, mankind's fate would be unthinkable. We talked about how hard it is to trust officials when it comes to how to deal with COVID. They and the news media made you wonder who to believe about getting a vaccine, wearing a mask, and even keeping a business open. It's frustrating that our government leaders tell you to trust how they're serving you, yet many are raking in tons of money from people who are influencing them on how to serve. What does it take to be a leader we can trust? Today in Behold My Servant Part 2, Pastor Paul Twist explains why Jesus is the only one we can trust. He earned our trust by perfectly serving us. Insomuch as you have put your faith in Christ, you're exhorted to pick up your cross and follow in his footsteps. And when things don't go according to plan, you can still trust in the servant. God has not lost all control over your circumstances. Rather, he's perfectly ordained them, and you can trust in the servant. Secondly, second reason why we can trust him is because he'll bring forth justice. Isaiah writes, I have put my spirit upon him. He'll bring forth justice to the nations. Now that word justice has a broad meaning, even within the book of Isaiah. It can mean to levy a charge, to repay a debt. Most broadly, and I think the meaning here is simply to do that which is right. My servant will do that which is right. And therein we see his trustworthiness. Why? Because there is a very tight axis constructed within the Old Testament law that those who do right are trustworthy. By contrast, it is the workers of iniquity who should not be trusted. The law and the prophets etch out that theology for us continuously. So when you see someone who is doing that which is right, who is upholding the law of God, you can trust him. But notice, it's not merely that this one does what is right for himself, but that he leads others to do also what is right. God says he will bring forth justice to the nations. I think about the concept of leadership, what it is to lead others, to do a certain thing, for them to follow you. When I served in the Navy before coming over to America, it was there that I met one of the 
most incredible leaders that I've ever seen, most impressive men that I've ever met. I served for six years on a sardine tin, otherwise known as a submarine, and we were under the water for long periods of time, about 150 of us, and it was there, the captain of the submarine that I was on, that I encountered this man, an incredible, incredible leader. He was excellent in all that he did, and a professional And what was curious was the nature of his influence. If you had walked around that submarine at any point, if you had observed any man on that submarine, you would have found that man to be doing exactly what was expected of him. Everyone on that submarine was fulfilling their job description precisely. You wouldn't have struggled to figure out who on this boat is the engineering officer, who on this boat is the logistics officer. Everyone was doing exactly what was expected of them because of the way in which this man conducted himself. Now think about the servant. God tells us there is a day coming when this man will reign on this earth such that every single person in every nation will be found to be doing what is right. There is a day coming when this servant will reign from his holy mountain and the nations will flock to him and there will be a righteousness that covers the earth. It pervades every single nation. He will shut out sin and his influence will be such that everybody does what is right. And for that reason, you can trust him and you can be greatly encouraged. Most likely, there are some that come here today suffering from some kind of injustice. Perhaps you come here this morning suffering based on some kind of injustice in the workplace. Some kind of injustice, maybe within your family. God knows about that. And he wants for you to look forward, to look at his servant to the day when this servant will reign on planet earth and he will bring righteousness to the nations. You can set your hope in him. You can trust in this servant. Thirdly, we read that the servant is trustworthy because he is meek. He is meek. God goes on, verse 2, he will not cry out or raise his voice nor make his voice heard in the street. Referring here to Jesus' earthly ministry, his first coming, it teaches us about his humility, but consider just how significant are these words. When Jesus came, he was not arrogant, obnoxious. He wasn't a tyrant. He didn't cry out for people to give him attention. He wasn't instructing people that you have to look at me He simply went about his mission with the utmost humility and meekness. Now, there was a crowd that followed him, certainly. Because of the things he said, because of the things he did, he did attract attention. But Jesus' manner was of the utmost humility. You could have spent a day in the market square where he was and not known that he was there, apart from those that were gathering around him. Now, why is it that Jesus' meekness commends us to trust in him. I think intuitively we understand if you've ever worked for a a bully or a tyrant, maybe they have got you to do the thing that they want you to do, but you don't do it with affection for them. You don't do it in such a way that you would trust them. Tyranny and trust don't go hand in hand. 
But from another perspective, we might say this. If Jesus went about his ministry with all meekness, all humility, he wasn't screaming at people to look at him. That means there must have been some degree of self-validation, self-attesting worth to his work. The fact that people were following him, and yet he was of the utmost meekness and humility suggests that there was a self-attestation to his ministry. It was self-validating. Again, I think of that captain on the submarine, and I would say that anybody on board would have done anything for him. We all wanted to show him that he had our allegiance. We all wanted to be with him and to follow him. He could have asked anything of us. And his job was really just to command a submarine. Now think of Christ. His mission statement is to reconcile men to God. He is sent by God to earth to achieve that which you could not achieve. The chasm that exists between you and God because of your sin can only be broached by Jesus Christ. Not by any work, not by any effort on your part. And so Jesus comes with the greatest of tasks. To reconcile God to men. To broach that chasm. And he does it with humility. And so we see the self-attesting value of his ministry. In Matthew chapter 12, he heals someone and immediately says, don't tell anyone. And then Matthew quotes from this text to show us that he's going about his ministry with meekness. And for that reason, we can trust him. Again, we can be greatly encouraged as we think about this. We live in an age where there are many bullies, many tyrants. The cancel culture is a thing. There are many people being told to affirm a lie, being told to affirm something that they do not believe. It might not be that long before someone is at your door telling you to affirm something you don't believe. But you don't need to bow to that kind of pressure because you worship the servant, the meek and humble servant, and he can be trusted. Fourthly, why can we trust the servant? Because he is gracious. He is gracious. The servant song goes on, verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Now these are familiar words, we know these verses, and I think our tendency would be to suggest that this verse here is an extension, a continuation of the thought given to us in verse 2. The servant is meek and humble. But one thing to note is that the book of Isaiah is a highly literary work, meaning that as Isaiah writes these words, he is often making word plays, certain connections. He's repeating certain ideas in order to make a point. As you read through the whole of Isaiah, you just see it as a literary work of brilliance. And so as we read this interesting picture here of the bruised reed and the wick, one question we might ask is, to what is the prophet referring? Turn back with me just briefly to Isaiah 36. Isaiah chapter 36, and specifically in verse 6, we read there, Behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed even on Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. 
So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who rely on him. The Israelites had a, a problem with the Egyptians. They kept trusting in them. And throughout Isaiah, the Egyptians are often referred to as the reed. They were the nation that had the sea of reeds. And so shorthand for the Egyptians is often the reed. Look ahead with me, just one chapter to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 in verse 17. God says in verse 14, for your sake I have sent to Babylon. Verse 17, who brings forth the chariot, the horse, the army, the mighty man, they will lie down together and not rise again. They have been quenched and extinguished like a wick. So you see in the servant's song, as we read of the servant's ministry, the enemies of God are being invoked by the notion of the reed and the wick. The enemies of God, the Egyptians and the Babylonians, and the ministry of the servant is not to show up and crush them. By contrast, the servant shows up with all grace and says, I am not here to crush the enemy. I won't break the bruised reed. I won't extinguish the faintly burning wick, but rather I will extend grace to them. This is why earlier in the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah speaks oracles against the nations, when he speaks against the Egyptians and the Babylonians, nestled in those oracles is a salvation moment where Isaiah says, on behalf of God, behold, Egypt, my people. Within the oracles against the nations, God speaks this glorious moment of salvation to the Egyptians and says, behold, Egypt, my people. How can God say that? Because he's projecting forward to a day where one day people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be gathered around the throne of Christ. He is saying there is grace for the enemy. And I trust you see in this one verse something of the gospel by which you were saved. The fact that the servant comes not to crush the enemy but with grace is the very reason you are sat here this morning in Christ. If it were not for his grace, God would have crushed you. There is no reason for God to have not crushed you but for the servant's gracious ministry. This is why I think practically a very easy way to renew your trust in the Lord is simply to rehearse your testimony of salvation. To simply remind yourself of where you have come from, of how the Lord saved you, of the theology that underpins that story. I was saved when I was 21. 21 years of sin, of no regard for the Lord. 21, I lived in a house with six other guys, two of whom were Christians. Through their faithfulness to open the Bible with me, and to show me the gospel, I am here today. I asked questions. I pushed back for a year. After one year, I had no questions left. I couldn't think of anything else to say. The Lord put an end to my resistance and saved me. And you have some story akin to that. The theology that underpins it is the same for all of us. We brought nothing to the table. We couldn't save ourselves. But God, in his grace saw fit to redeem you, 
The servant showed up in your life and extended saving grace to you. And as you recount that reality in your life, as you think back on that reality in your life, you are reminded that you can trust God now. One of the most recurring patterns that I experience teaching at TMS is simply that life doesn't pan out the way you'd expect. So these guys come in and they're, they're full of hope and confidence for their future ministry. And we work with them over a number of years and then they graduate and we send them off. And often I get to reconnect with them some years later and I'll say, so, so tell me, how have things gone? And the recurring theme is things haven't played out the way I thought they would. And I'm guessing again, for many of you here today, life has not panned out the way you thought it would. Many of you probably bring sufferings and burdens here this very morning. But you think upon the saving grace of God. You see how he sent his son to die for you. And you are reminded that right now in the present, I can trust him. Finally, number five, why can we trust the servant? Because he is steadfast. God says he will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Again, Isaiah is pointing here, I think, to the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ and speaking about his consistency. Trust is a funny thing. You can't build it unless you're willing to be present. It's very difficult to gain somebody's trust unless you're willing to show up. But more than that, you have to show up consistently. To build a level of trust takes time, and you need to be present over and over and over again. It's very hard to trust someone if you've only met them one time. It's very hard to trust someone if they're never around. Jesus' ministry was one where he showed up and he was consistent. He rose, he taught about the kingdom of God, and then he went to bed. And the next day he rose and he went and taught about the kingdom of God. And then he went to bed. And the next day he didn't say, what shall I do today? I think I'll change my pattern. He got up, he taught about the kingdom of God, and he went to bed. Praise God for the consistency of Jesus' ministry. The disciples are trying to figure out who is this man. And at least in part by virtue of his consistency, they learn to trust him. He's not changing. He's the same guy today as he was yesterday. And we see in him the truth. And we can lay our very lives down at his feet. We can surrender our all to him because of his faithfulness. And notice the privileged position in which we sit this morning. We have more of a testimony than they had. They are looking at the earthly ministry of Christ, putting their trust in him. But the scriptures tell us when Christ ascended, his faithfulness did not end. But rather his intercessory ministry for you began. He ascended on high and he began to pray for the saints. The second you put your faith in Christ, his prayers for you began. And he has not stopped interceding for you up until this very hour. He prays for you and he prays for you and he prays for you. 
Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, he can save to the uttermost. He can get you to that finish line. Why? Because he does not fail to make intercession for the saints. That is true of you today if you are in Christ. So you can look at Christ's earthly ministry and you can praise God for his intercessory ministry. And all of it says you can trust him. You can give Jesus your fears. You can give him your desires. You can say, my whole life is yours and I trust you. And this is the response that Isaiah leads us to. The very last line of the servant's song, the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Here we are, the coastlands. Isaiah speaks a lot about the Gentiles, the gospel going to the Gentiles, the ends of the earth, the coastlands. And here we are, it's reached us, and we praise God that we are in Christ this morning, having heard the good news, and our responsibility is to wait. Now that verb is very similar to the verb to hope. It does not commend to us a passivity. Christians are not to be passive We are to be very active. We're to be on our our tiptoes, leaning forward, craning forward for the return of Christ. And as we wait, we order our steps each and every day around God's word. And all of it is founded upon a constant beholding of the servant. We are to look and gaze upon the servant. Each and every day we open God's word and refresh our hearts to the glories of Christ. And as we do so, we order our steps around God's word. And we keep doing it until Christ returns. We stand before him face to face and we will sing his praises forever. May that be true of us this morning. Let's pray to close. Our Father, we love you and we are thankful for the ministry of the servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that you sent him to live a perfect life amongst us, to die a criminal's death for our sin, to rise from the dead, to ascend on high. We praise you for the servant and we do agree that he is worthy of our trust. He is worthy of our all. We ask for your forgiveness for those areas of our life where we give way to fear, anxiety, frustration, and anger, all expressions of a lack of trust. Lord, work in our hearts. Cause us to behold the servant. And as we take him in, may we order our steps in obedience to you, waiting for his return we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. After today's message, you may be thinking, sure, you're telling me to completely trust Jesus, but what about all those who preach about him just to make money off it? And you make an excellent point. That's the beauty in focusing on and trusting Jesus. You and I can trust in the fact that he's going to sort all those injustices out. The God of all creation says he will do right, which means he's also going to do right with you. Are you ready for that? 
Would you like to trust Him not only to forgive you for all you've done wrong, but to become the master of your life? Well, if you'd like to learn more about following Jesus and how He can be the one you can trust for now and eternity, come to our website, timelesstruthtoday.org. On the homepage, hit Broadcasts, and there you'll find an amazing archive of Pastor Paul's teachings. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. Well, Sunday's coming, and if you're in the area and aren't part of a local church, you'd be welcome to come worship with us at 10.30 a.m. this Sunday. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Come Monday, we're into part three of our series, Behold My Servant. Hope you can join us then. I'm Matt Williams. Hope you have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.